Ron and Anian. There are 212,000 ASC certified technicians in the country. The Car Doctor. How many are ASC certified master technicians? 72,000. That's less than the amount of people that play Major League Baseball. Welcome to the radio home of Ron and Anian, the Car Doctor. Since 1991, this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls at 855-560-9900. And now, here's Ronnie. Hello and welcome. I want to talk to you today. Well, let me get let me get the other stuff out of the way first. This is Ronnie Andy in the Car Doctor. Thanks for stopping by the garage. The phone number, 855-560-9900. The Car Doctor's toll-free call in. Get your car question answered. Phone number, 855-560-9900. There's more information about this radio show at cardoctorshow.com. Naturally, all the links that we always talk about are there for TuneIn and iTunes and iHeart and all that other good stuff. If you need me during the week, it's ron at cardoctorshow.com. I want to talk to you a little bit real quick about common sense. And we're going to beat the phrase up again. We're probably going to overdo it because common sense isn't so common. I like to look at cars as they progress. I'm not sure if it's a positive progression. They just change. And and think about where they came from and where they're going. Ford Motor Company back in the late 90s and the early 1000s, 2000s, for their four-wheel drive vehicles, had these mechanical, you had a choice of mechanical locking hubs and vacuum-style assist hubs that were difficult in some cases and very expensive to repair in others. That left just leaving a lot. You were like... Then somewhere around the mid-2000s, 2003, 2004... They switch to vacuum control hubs. So if you're driving a four-wheel drive vehicle, you want to know how that... And this is because everybody, you know, here we are in America. Everybody's got to join a gym. Everybody's got to run on a treadmill. Everybody's got to jog, ride a bicycle, get some exercise. But they're too lazy to get out of a vehicle, walk up to a front hub and go, click and move the four-wheel drive hub from freewheel into lock. Great. Spend your money at the gym, folks, and keep drinking that Starbucks. So... It becomes a point that now, with the flick of a switch on a dash, because we're too lazy to get our keisters out of the truck and go out there and change the hubs, we create a vacuum-locking hub that bolts to the front differential. So now you can sit there and change this, and a vacuum line goes down to a hub, and it applies vacuum to a diaphragm, and it turns a solid, it turns off the vacuum supply, and the hub releases and locks it in four-wheel drive, and that locks the front differential and makes it work. We took something that was as complicated as a number two pencil that had to have a point and an eraser in order for it to work, and we made it as complex as a Boeing 747 jet that has 100,000 lines of fault code in it. I mean, it's 100 million lines of code in it for the computers. 2006 Ford F-150 came into the shop this week at RA Automotive. Customer complaint of a clicking noise. He said to me, it sounds like there's a baseball card in the bicycle spoke. Okay, I took it for a ride. Sure enough. Click, 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 click. 
baseball card and a bicycle spoke kind of noise. Put the truck up in the air. The first thing we noticed was the left front wheel spun freely. The right front wheel, not so much. Pulled the wheels down. The right front brake was gone. Well, it was still there, but there wasn't a lot of brake pad left. Call it what it will, it was a gnat's eyelash from being metal on metal. It needed front brakes. The rotor was heat cracked and blue. But once we finally got the caliper off and it could spin the wheel, you'd hear click, 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 click. Huh. Gee, how's that happening? It seems like there's a there's an issue here. Took it all apart, found that the vacuum hub for the front wasn't properly holding vacuum because in their ingenious idea, this is the second thing that makes it so complicated, there's vacuum all the time to the front hub. So if the vacuum gets displaced, automatically the truck goes into four-wheel drive where it locks the front differential, not necessarily a transfer case. I know why they did that. They think like GM did. Back in the 80s, General Motors used to have it. And this is because somewhere back in the late 70s, there was a lawsuit where a General Motors customer froze to death and the estate sued General Motors, if I remember it correctly, because they froze to death because the vacuum line fell off. They couldn't get heat and they were stuck in a snowbank in the middle of Iowa or something or wherever the heck it was. And so from that moment on, General Motors changed their heater control system so that vacuum always would, loss of vacuum would then apply heat and make it so that you couldn't freeze. You might sweat to death in July because if the vacuum line fell off, now it was the complaint the other direction, but regardless. What Ford's thinking here, I think, is if the vacuum line falls off the four-wheel drive hub, it'll lock on four-wheel drive, and you'll always have four-wheel drive so you can get home in the snowbank in Iowa because they just don't want to have an issue. This poor customer with this 06 F-150 has to go for a four-wheel drive set of vacuum hubs, the right front wheel bearing's bad because it's cooked blue, because the vacuum hub failed and left the bearing partially locked on. The clicking noise was like two mechanical uh, gears in an automa- in a manual transmission. The slider, the synchro wasn't working, and it kept trying to line up the teeth and click, 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 click. Found a bulletin. You know, it all comes back to bulletins, right? Found a bulletin that talked about water intrusion in the vacuum lines, not venting properly, causes corrosion and blockage to prevent proper release and cause the vehicle to fail. So they took it from something simple, get out of the truck, get up off your butt, lock the hub to vacuum to push-button vacuum to instantaneous four-wheel drive because, again, we want to drink our Starbucks, go to the gym to get exercise, not get out of the vehicle to do it. But we also made it to the point that now what used to be a set of hubs that were probably $200 now becomes a $2,500 repair. You've got to wonder where technology is really taking us. And as for me, I think of my father all the time, and he's gone a long time. My father passed many, many years ago, and I still remember that day in the car when he looked down at me. We were talking about something, and I was 10 years old, and he said, simple is always better. You want a refrigerator to be white, keep it cold. When you open the door, the light comes on, and that's all you really need. That fixed airplanes for a living. I kind of think he knew what he was talking about. 855-560-9900. I'm running Andy in the car, doctor. Yep, I think I'm about to get uh, the – I'm going to hear from the grievance committee again. Oh, no, this, no, no, this, no. This isn't about crumb cake today, is it, fellas? No, 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 no. We, we just wanted to let you know that uh, you'll be proud of us because Tony and I, see, we don't belong to gyms.
So we get all of our exercise you know, here at the Car Doctor Show, you know, jumping to conclusions, flying off the handle, dodging responsibility, and pushing our luck. Cosign. Uh, yeah, I could I could understand that. They um, Actually, they, they do a heck of a job. These are my guys, but uh, it, it's funny. to You know, you don't see what I see. I'm doing the show, and in the back of Tom's mind, Tom is laughing because he knows that he's going to be using some of these in the next week's open. So uh, I'm not really doing a radio show. I'm just giving him information and things to react to. If you're looking for more information about this radio show, cardoctorshow.com, tunein.com, iheart, itunes.com. And, you know, listen, if you're podcasting and you can't get to this radio show uh, during the normal show hours, Saturday afternoons, 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern time, give us a call, 855-560-9900. Leave a message. Fast Harry will call you back and get you in queue. A couple of weeks ago, we were talking about engine cleaners and some of the products out there on the market, and I said I was going to do some research. And uh, you know what? I had forgotten this one, right? Out of sight, out of mind. But probably the number one cleaner for getting rid of sludge and varnish in an engine, it's an oldie but a goodie, and it's been around forever. As a matter of fact, it's the product that created the term tune-up in a bottle. It really was the original. Rizlone. The folks over at Barsley, Barsley Rizlone. Um uh, really is, you know, that's really where you want to go. You can take a look at uh, Rizlone. Get out to Rizlone.com and take a look at some of their engine treatment stuff, their concentrated stuff. But uh, Rizlone was the original tune-up in a bottle and uh, really great stuff for quieting noisy lifters and valves. We were talking about that and uh, preventing sludge and those type of things. Rizlone does keep engines clean. I'm Ron Anany and the Car Doctor. I'll be back to answer your questions right after this. Welcome back. Ron Anini and the Car Doctor here, 855-560-9900. Your Car Doctor, your questions, your answers all the time here at Ron Anini and the Car Doctor. Keep in mind, cardoctorshow.com for more show information, also podcasts, and also links to tune in, iHeart, iTunes.com. And if you need me during the week, Ron at cardoctorshow.com comes right to my desk in the shop. Um, don't be surprised if I uh, tend to pick up the phone, and I do. I may pick up the phone and call you and just get more information because uh, what we're really trying to do is Answer car questions. That's what I'm here for. Let's get over and answer some questions ourselves. Let's kick open the garage doors this hour. Talk to Tom Clifton, New Jersey, 2010 4350, and some problems with a cam signal. Tom, welcome to the car, Dr. Sir. How can I help? Yes, sir. Hi, Ron. Yes, sir. Uh, I bought this E350 Ford. It's a 2010 body, and it looks like it's got an 07 engine in it. Okay. Why? What makes you think it's an 07 engine? That's what the mechanic told me. And okay. one of the uh one of the uh valve covers actually has a date on it of uh 07. Okay. All right, what's and what's what's the exact problem you've got, Tom? Check engine light on, setting a fault code. Um, well, that's the thing. The check engine light has been disabled, so you don't notice there's a problem. Oh boy. But uh it has it has a uh, P300 and P340. Right. 340 is a cam sensor fault. 300 is it's 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 seeing random misfire which can be triggered by the cam sensor fault so what you really have here is a pig and a poke um for a non-technical description um first first conversations first did you just buy this vehicle uh about a month ago or so yeah okay 
because my first concern is it won't pass inspection on the assumption that this is repairable, that it's not so badly hacked together, that it's a Frankenstein vehicle, that it can be repaired, that without a check engine light working, it won't pass New Jersey State inspection. What's the GVW on it? What's it registered as? Uh, ten thousand. Ten thousand. It's a box truck. Yeah, it's a box truck. So now, it, yeah, it's got. It's really should have a check engine light that's working. And my concern is if they've disabled it, the place that sold it to you, obviously they're in violation of emissions and federal laws, and that's a problem. So uh, that's a that's a decision of conscience, Tom. That's you know how do you want to go back and address it with these guys and um, uh, let, well, let you know. The problem is the dealer is in uh, Memphis, Tennessee. Oh boy, it just gets better, right? <laughs> So yeah, well, exactly. Let's 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 see if we can fix this, and um, you know, we'll go on the assumption that maybe the bulb just <laughs> fell out into somebody's pocket, and all you have to do is put a bulb back in it. All right. Yeah. Let's let's talk about. Yeah, I know. Listen, I get these two, and you know, this is um, it's tough. The cam signal. Um, are 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 you are you the mechanic working on this, Tom? Or are you the vehicle owner? No, I'm the owner. Okay. And and yeah, the mechanic looked at it and he's like, "Just drive it the way it is." No, then you've got to find the new mechanic. That's not the answer. Um, the the issue here is the cam and the crank signals on this truck give the onboard computer information telling it what to do and how to do it. All right, if it doesn't see a cam signal, this could be something as simple as a broken wire. This could also be something as complicated as a problem with the cam gear inside the engine. So, you know, part of this has to be weighed out as far as the expense as how deep do you go? How many miles are on the truck? What did you pay for it? How long do you plan to drive it? And, you know, all of this comes into play. You know, my biggest issue is without the check engine light, as this starts to set faults as it ages, um, how will you know? Well, I got the uh, I got the scanner hooked up to it. Yeah, but the you're whole gonna, time, and I, right. I, was I gonna scan say, it once in a while with the phone. Right, and you're going to have to, you know. Yeah. Um, here's the bottom line. Could you afford to get rid of the truck and replace it with something else? Most likely, if I have to. Okay. But uh, could, let could, me ask you this. Uh, should this work, yeah. this combination? Well, as long as all the sensors that are there are equal to, you know, from a 2010 to a 2007, yeah, it should work. Because you do have the right. issue of component mismatch, clear cut here. Absolutely, this was a case where somebody took a 2010 body and put a 2007 salvage yard engine in it. So right. you know, now we've got the question: you know, will a PCM see it? Is it, is it seeing proper information? Probably the first thing someone should really do is go find the cam sensor and take a look at the green violet wire that runs between the the sensor and the PCM and look to see: do we have a signal? Do we have a pattern out right. of that? Is it a good, clean signal? If the signal is there and it's good and clean, does it make it all the way back to the PCM? If it's okay. flat, then do we have a problem in the wiring harness? Uh, you know, listen, okay. as, as, as dogged as this could appear, this could be something simple and basic. It's still a, it's still a two- or a three-wire sensor, uh, depending upon right. the vehicle. It's, it's, we know how to fix those. Uh, you know, this comes down to someone's got to take a look at, does it have power? Does it have signal? Is it clean signal? If the signal is noisy, for example, if they look at it on a scope and they see a lot of noise on the line, 
Maybe we've got a bad alternator. Alternator diodes cause cam sensor problems on a lot of vehicles. Hondas, Fords, Chevrolets, we see it all the time. So, you know, the question you've got to be cautious of here is how much money are you willing to invest and lose? Notice I said it that way to find out that the actual repair is going to exceed the value of the truck. Because if it turns out that it has good cam signal, that the PCM is compatible with the engine and its components, that the fault is inside the engine, taking the engine apart might be more than the truck is worth. And right. then and then you still yeah, have no and then you still have no check engine light. <laughs> The, yeah, the first thing I did was uh, replace the camshaft sensor, and it, I asked for a 2010 camshaft sensor, and it's exactly the same right. as the right. 07. Right. I don't know if it's just the signal from the cam that's different, or there is something with the wiring. Or well, I would, yeah, I would. If the sensor's the same, and it's a two-wire sensor, Tom. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. it's a two-wire sensor. Sensor's the same. No, I would say let's go look at signal, and you're going to need a scope to do that. Like I said, somebody's going to have to tap into the green violet. Take a look at that and look for a good, clean signal out of it. And if it's there, then trace that wire back to the PCM. That should be circuit 27 up to the PCM. There's a connector there. I think it's 174 or 175 that leads to the PCM. You can get out a schematic and look at it, and you will see. But if you've got signal into the PCM, then the sensor's good, the circuit's good. We've got to start thinking, do we have a PCM fault? But not that common, and don't jump the gun. Don't just change it. It's time to start doing a little scoping and some testing. But that's where I would go with this. But like I said, my bigger concern is where's the check engine light? And, and, and that's an issue. And, and that's really the big problem because you could find yourself spending a lot of money on this truck and fix the cam sensor fault and then find out that for another reason or another issue, the check engine light's not working. Um, so just uh, one step at a time, but I would start by scoping the cam sensor line. Uh, yeah, and thanks, Tom. I appreciate the call. Let me know if I can do anything else to help. The problem, and I want to just touch on this real quick before we take the pause, when you're out buying a used car and it, it's the simple little things, you've got to take a breath and just not jump. And we all do it. Listen, I've made my mistakes buying used vehicles before. It's, it's, it's not impossible. Stop and look. Do all the dashboard lights work? You know, that's what those dashboard lights are there for. When you turn the key on without running the engine, that's called bulb check, B-U-L-B, bulb check. Do the bulbs all light up? And it's not there to tell if the bulbs are there. It says that the bulbs light. And if the bulbs light, great. If there's no check engine light, there's a problem. What are they hiding? Because to drive a vehicle today without a check engine light... You're asking for trouble and expensive repairs somewhere in the life of that vehicle. 855-560-9900. We're back right after this. Don't go away. Welcome back. Ron and the car doctor here. Let's quit get going on some phone calls. Let's talk to Conrad, La Crosse, Wisconsin, 94 Buick Park Ave, and some problems Conrad, welcome to the car doctor. How can I help? Uh, 94, Buick Park Avenue. And uh, when I slow down to make a left-hand corner, right, it, it'll just go dead after I start the corner. It doesn't do it. I'll come to a complete stop at a stop sign, then you're cutting nothing like that. Just, okay. When you're just slowing down, say your car's a block away, and you start the corner, and all of a sudden you just go dead. All right. When it goes dead... Do you lose? Do the dash lights come on, or is it just completely dead electrically? Nothing. 
absolutely did. I stick it in park and then it starts. Right. Do you, do, you have, do you have dash lights as you're cruising along there with the engine off? You know, I, I'm not exactly sure, but I think I did. Okay. So basically, <laughs> it happens, when it happens, you know, you're surprised. So you don't. Right. Yeah. Sure. It's a it's a moment of panic. Can you repeat it? I mean, is it repeatable? Can you reproduce it? No. It just happens on its own. So it's 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 at it's at random whenever it wants. Right, and that's happened about uh, three times in the last uh, two months. All right, so this will be. I easy. quit using it for a while. Now I just take it to the store while I'm in town, so I don't right. have to worry about it. First thing I want you to have somebody check are the motor mounts. I want to make sure this. I, I want to make sure the mounts on this car are solid and nothing's broken. All right. What I have seen yeah. on that generation GM product is mounts get soft, they crack, they fall apart. They allow the engine and the trans to move around, and on hard turns, it will tug on the wiring harness and cause the car to do exactly what you're describing, depending upon how bad they are. Okay. All right. Yeah, Just, I've had a Pontiac way back in a 1960 Pontiac when I went around the corner, the right-hand corner. I the uh, yeah, Monty broke it, it would take off. Yeah, <laughs> yep, yeah, it would go into unattended acceleration. And uh, we, we now, we, now we've created, see what technology has given us? We've taken it backwards. Now we make the car stall so you get run over by an 18-wheeler. So, but let's, yeah. let's, let's take a look at mounts. The second thing that comes to mind is when it goes into this, are there any fault codes in this vehicle? Now, this is 94, so it's not that smart. It's kind of a... This car is as smart as the 13th grade. It's not the brightest bulb in the shed, but there right. still may be some fault codes there. I'd like to see something, all right? And number one, number two, I'd like a mechanic to find the crank sensor down on the front of the motor, on the on the front balancer for the crank, and position himself real easy. Take a long 3-8 extension, and with the engine running in the bay, just take that long 3-8 extension. He's got to be careful not to get caught up in the belt. Drop the extension on the crank sensor itself. Use it to tap it. The weight of the of, of the extension. He doesn't have to bang on it. It's plastic. He'll break it. Just annoy it. If you gently tap it, all right, does the car shut off? Those were common faults for that particular car, all right? And particularly on turns, it would get stressed. It would go into a – and if you comp combine a bed or a weak crank sensor with motor mounts that are oily and chewed up, this is an older vehicle. I'm sure it's got some miles on it. All of a sudden, things starts moving around, and it's not isolated, and bump, clunk, thump, the car shuts off. All right? Last, okay. last, last thought on my mind to try and replicate this is can we go and look, find the PCM – which I believe is in the right front right front kick panel, and put it down on the carpet on the floor when the car is all warmed up, and flat palm smack it. And if you flat palm smack it, does the car shut off in terms of, you know, just stall? All those things were common. All those things are possible. First step I would do, though, Conrad, is take a look at the uh, motor mounts, make sure the mounts, motor mounts and trans mounts are all in good shape because those led to more common faults like you're describing than most people care to remember. Good luck to you, and I'm here if you need it. Just uh, give us a call. Let's get over and talk to Tom, 2002 Silverado, Traverse City, and uh, some problems with brake lines. Tom, you're on with the car doctor. How can I help you? Hey, thanks for taking my call. You're, you're welcome, sir. What's going on? Yeah, I, uh, I have a 2002 Chevy Silverado regular cab. 
uh, with the 4.8 uh, four-wheel drive. And my uh, all the brake lines had rusted out, so I had, a, had them replaced at a shop. Now I don't have any uh, anti-lock or ABS brakes. And uh, I just was wondering, what, is there anything I can do? Well, well, okay, the first question I've got to ask is, how would you know? I already know the answer to this, but I want you to tell me. How do you know you don't have any ABS brakes? Well, the dash light, the ABS light on the dash is on, okay. and I can feel it when I hit the brakes. They just it, they just lock up. No, they don't lock at all. They just feel like you know mush. Yes. All right. So my first thought is perhaps we are not bled properly. And in some cases, there is a designated bleed procedure that has to be done to these vehicles using a dealer-level equivalent scan tool. In other words, just the old, you know, bleed and pump at the wheel doesn't do it, especially if the system's been bled out. So, you know, a a Tech 2 scan tool would be wonderful here. Um, If they have access to something like a launch, a launch scan tool, I believe, has the procedure in it. Uh, but I would just want to go through and make sure that they followed proper bleed procedure. I mean, I've got to tell you, the first thought on my mind, because I've seen shops do this, are all the lines where they're supposed to go. It, it's hard to do, but, you know, i got I got to tell you, Tom, I've seen guys beat themselves up to do things wrong for 43 years. It's amazing how much effort they go through. So, uh, you know, I would look at the I would look at the way the lines are routed, did they use one of the Delco brake line replacement kits, or did they fabricate their own lines? He used the uh, the, the dealer from the dealer, the Delco. Right. Yeah. I believe it's Delco. He, he got it from the dealer because he said everything was pre-done. Right. Yeah. Oh, it's a nice kit. Uh, it's a little tedious to install, but as long as all the lines are in the right place, my first stop would be, can it be bled using a procedure? My second question would be, what fault code? gets spit out when you go in for it because the dash lights are on. If it's anything related to the module as far as the module itself, because those modules do fail, and okay. I, I, they are, you know, at this age, it's 14 years old. It's got over 100,000 miles on it. It's as fragile as a newborn or an elderly person. Um, it's, it's not in the prime of its life. You've got a, like, little TLC there. Um, it may need an ABS controller. It may be stuck one position or the other. I've seen cases where the system gets bled, and it's if it's got a high amount of silt or, or varnish or contaminant in it or particulate, it'll push one of the spools in the ABS controller open or the other direction. It gets grit in it. Now that valve is open, and it's causing a problem, and you never get a decent pedal out of the car. Um, another reason to try the bleed procedure, there's also a way that you can, using a scan tool, if memory serves me correct, to operate the ABS controller, for lack of a better way to put it. Sort of get it to clear the flaps. Think of a toilet. You ever have a toilet that runs all the time, Tom? Oh, yeah. Okay. What do you do? You have to move the flap, and you got to clean the ring and get the calcium off and then get it to seal again? There you go. you got to clean your flap, all right, for lack of okay. a better way to put it. So a couple of things to go look at. I would go down that road and then uh, give me a call back. Let me know how that does it for you, and we can talk further from there. 855-560-9900. The Car Doctor is coming back right after this. Here I come. 
Welcome back. Ron Anini and the Car Doctor here, 855-560-9900. As always, is the Car Doctor's 24-7 phone number. Give us a call, leave a message if we're not on the air, and we'll get back to you and talk to you about it. Let's get over to the phones and talk to Lee in Western Vermont. Weston, Vermont, I'm sorry, wants to talk about uh, rust prevention. Lee, welcome to the Car Doctor. How can I help? Hey. Yes, sir. Uh, well, how am I going to help you, I guess, uh, is what uh, it is. Either way, I'm, I'm open to last, all, last, all, all Well, ideas. we get to show up sure. here on Sunday mornings, and I heard somebody was complaining from New York that car was rusting out, and I said, here in New York, or here in Vermont, we use oil undercoating. So there, there's a bunch of them around, and it works, and it works well. I mean, one example that I can use is we had a 76 Mac fire engine, uh, no rust on it at all, and just sold it, at, you know, a couple months ago. And so, what's that? Forty years old? Yeah, something like that. Sure. Yeah. Well, and uh, you know, uh, listen, I remember in the old days where you could spray oil on cars, and it was not frowned upon. I I don't know how legal it is anymore. Uh, you know, in terms of spraying oil on cars, I'd be a little concerned about the electronics underneath now and getting oil into some of those components. There are other alternatives, though. Like I was saying last week, fluid film works really well uh we like that but i you know point well taken i remember back 35 years ago and then we'll move on where we were um uh, requested by customers to pour oil down the frames and uh, let the cars run like that to keep them from rotting out so um yeah oil oil does work but we seem to think it's bad although the one the place that i'm going to use uses an additive as well or a couple additives that, that was designed and they do meet environmental uh regulations in this wonderful world today i think one time if you go back a few years they used used motor oil on it yeah. but now it's all clean stuff and they drill the panels they do the rockers they do inside outside and uh if you have a brand name lee and you can find the link we can i ask you to email it to me and we'll look into it maybe we'll talk about it up here on air we'll we'll uh you know, let's give credit where credit is due. If it's a better mousetrap, we want to know about it. Well, I say here in Vermont, where you got the crap they put down in the wintertime, as well as the, the uh, calcium in the summertime to keep right. the dust down, you got to, you know, 12 months out of the year. Yeah, you, you got to do something, sure. Yeah. Send, send me an email, Lee. Send it to ron at cardoctorshow.com. And um, if you just send me a link of the product, if I could, if I could bother you, look it up on the. Uh, well, I, I on don't know web. if it's a product, but it, but it's an outfit that does it, uh, and they it's a proprietary uh, product that they're using. I don't know what the other ones are using in the neighborhood. I mean, I got three places that'll do it within 20 miles of a drive from here. So, Interesting. Uh, well, uh, they're see, all over the place, and I'm understanding more and more. You know, local shops are starting to do, use the stuff now because there's, uh, I guess, there's a new kind of oil out or something. Maybe what you talked about last week right. that, that that meets it, so everybody can get away with it. Well, do this if you can. If any one of those shops has a website, anything you can send me a link on, so I can read about the process. Maybe we'll have Harry call them up and interview one of them. And uh, they can tell us a little bit about what they're doing. Not that we want to put proprietary information on the air, but like I said before, if these guys have built a better mousetrap, we want to know about it. We want to make everybody else, uh, we want to educate the world. Um, that's part of what the Car Doctor is about. We uh, would be glad to talk to someone. So by all means, if you have it, send me some uh, more information, ron at cardoctorshow.com. Appreciate the call, Lee. Let's get over and talk to Maureen, Bay Shore, Long Island, 2003 Pontiac yes, Grand Dam. Hi, Maureen. Ron. Hi, hon. How are you? Um, I, uh, I'm falling from the outside, so... Um Please excuse the background sure, noise. Sure, go ahead. I'm actually, go ahead. Okay. The reason I'm calling is, can you hear me okay? Yes, I sure can. Okay. I um, had a bought, it's a 2003 Pontiac Grand Am. I did call about that once before. Once sure, with, with the bumper problem. What's the problem today, Maureen? Oh, no. <laughs> 
Well, the problem had been initially when I bought it, the regulator on the window was weak and it broke and they put glue on it twice and then it broke after the second time. Right. My question is, it's very frustrating because I want to be able to open the window. However, however, is there a way, if worse comes to worse, that it could be sealed shut? Because I had it done by a mechanic about nine years ago on my old Chevy. He sealed it shut where it wouldn't open. Well, the problem there is, in the event of an emergency, um, you know, and it's it's the driver's side window, and you have to get out of the car in the event of an accident. You could be stuck in it. Uh, you know, it's to me that's 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 not really the way I would go. It's only a two thousand three. It's not that old. I think what this is a case of is the mechanic that's working on it. Frankly, doesn't know what he's doing. In the fact that it's been glued twice, and I had I had heard Harry whispered in my ear before that he told you that it's your problem because you drive the car outside and it gets wet in the rain. Uh, you know what? I got to tell you, somebody that says that. That's an idiot. All right, let's call it what it is. What I would tell you to do is look into replacement parts. I'm sure there's a replacement window regulator out there if that's what it needs. And if not, if it's, it could be something as simple as he's using the wrong type of glue. To glue, if it's a glass-to-metal track type of repair, there's a product out there from 3M called 3M Channel Bonding. You could look on the 3M website, and um, that has to be applied specifically. And if it's done correctly, that does not fail. That will bond the glass to the metal. If it's a old, if it's a newer style bolt together window regulator, then there's no reason why not to change it. It's not an expensive repair, especially when you consider how many times you've had to go through and replace this. Uh, you know, in the last whatever it is, couple of months. So that's the way I would take it, Maureen. If you need more information, you've got another problem. By all means, give us a call. I'm Ron Anini in the Car Doctor. We're back right after this. Hey, welcome back. Ron and Andy, the car doctor. Real quick, let's sneak one more in. Ron in Lake Havasu with a 2006 Toyota Corolla. Yes, sir. How can I help? What's going on? Uh, yes, good afternoon, Ron. I yes, appreciate sir. you taking my call. You're welcome. Uh, I've got the 2006 Toyota Corolla, and the vehicle, uh, we purchased it new. Um, we've got about 60,000 miles on it. And uh, it's been running great uh, up until last weekend. We were in California, and uh, out of the blue, uh, it lost power, and we couldn't get it to go over about 15, 20 miles per hour. And we got a check engine light on it. Uh, I managed to get it out of traffic and um, looked under the hood, did what I could to check things out, restarted it, seemed to run okay, and it happened one more time. And we did get a check engine light, and uh, I did finally start it again after it sat for a little bit, and it ran fine. We drove it all the way back to Arizona. Okay. And uh, upon getting home, I, I checked for codes, and I had a P0606 and a P0607. And from what I can read here, research, it looks like it possibly could be a bad uh, uh, ECM 
uh, module, but I cleared the codes. They've never come back, and the thing's run fine ever since. So let I me, just wonder let, what your thoughts were. Let me that. ask you this, Ron. When, when you were driving, and the clock's going to take me in a minute, were you towing? Were you using a towing? No. Were you towing a trailer or anything? Um, there's a no trailer, just normal. Okay. There's a, anything weird with the brake lights? Any different brake lights? Any aftermarket brake light assemblies installed? Or all standard stuff? I do have LED tail lights and right. turn signals. They've been in probably for a couple of years. But all right. Yes, I do. Those LED style turn signals can be causing the problem. Very common, and it'll store as a 606 and a 607. There's a bulletin out from Toyota that specifically says remove the LED-style aftermarket tail lamps installed and install the originals back in to prevent the problem from reoccurring. There's also conversation about battery terminals and alternator output as a possible source of the problem, but you got to get rid of the LEDs first. I'm Ron Anini and the Car Doctor. Good mechanics aren't expensive. They're priceless. See ya! See ya!